0: Good morning. I would just extend Will's welcome to you, especially if you're a guest or a visitor with us this morning as we continue our service um, and come to our series in Luke. If you have a Bible in front of you, or you have one on your phone, uh, turn open at Luke chapter 8, and we're going to start at verse 40 in just a moment. Eugene Peterson said, suffering is personal. Suffering is personal. In fact, I wanted to read you a little bit about what he talks about suffering. He says, suffering is a characteristic of the personal. Animals can be hurt, but they do not suffer. Man and woman alone in creation suffer, for suffering is pain plus physical or emotional pain plus the awareness that our own value as creatures made in the dignity of God is called into question. Are we to be finally nothing? Are we to be discarded? Are we to be rejects in the universe and thrown on the garbage dump of humanity because our bodies degenerate and our emotions malfunction or our minds become confused or our families find fault with us? Any one of these things or a combination of them can put us into the depths. Let's just keep that in our minds as we come to our passage this morning in Luke chapter eight starting, as I say, at verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. And Jesus went The people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, "Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me." And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, "Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace." While he was still speaking. Someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher any more." But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. We pray that God Will bless his word to us as we think about it this morning. We're continuing in this series to follow David Gooding's outline that, that he lays out in According to Luke. And we've, we've seen in chapter 7 and 8, where we are at the moment, Luke has arranged his material in such a way to be teaching us about salvation teaching us about this idea of salvation through what Jesus says and through some of the things he does. And that, we see, is no different here this morning in this encounter. Because today's passage finds Jesus meeting two people who are in complete desperation, complete and utter despair. And perhaps you can identify with that to a degree this morning— Perhaps you're sitting here this morning, and you just know exactly what that feels like. Because these two people, one of them uh, is suffering something sudden and acute, and the other something that is prolonged, are or, or sort of a picture, aren't they, of, of the two extremes of suffering that we can face as people? Jairus is what we could call the, the sudden crisis. Jairus' life, as far as we could tell, had been going along perfectly well, and then suddenly, all upturned in one moment. And then we have this lady who has been facing an equally intense type of suffering, but prolonged this problem that has gone on day after day after day, weeks into months into years, all throughout her life, just slowly wearing her down. The long struggle And those are sort of a picture for us, aren't they, of the sort of suffering that can come into our lives as people. The sudden crisis when suddenly the ship capsizes and we never saw it coming. Or perhaps the difficult situation that just festers away and will not resolve in our lives. Think of the last 12 years for both of these people. Jairus was a leader in the synagogue. So he was was a A prominent person in the city, he was well known, well thought of, inhabited an important role in society and in in that world and in that life. And 12 years ago as well, he had welcomed into his family the birth of what we learn as his only daughter. This little child had come into his family and for 12 years he had enjoyed all of the joys and delights of family life. This lady, though, that same year that Jairus was welcoming that little baby into his home was almost certainly having to leave her home because we're told that she has this condition, a discharge of blood, probably dysfunctional in some form of dysfunctional menstrual bleeding, sort of thing that's a common problem today. But back then, with none of the options for treatment that we have now, So something that would have troubled her every day, recurrently throughout her life, sapping her energy, sapping her strength. And not just that, but in that world at that time, that sort of a problem would have caused her to be considered ceremonially unclean. It's beyond us this morning to think about why that was. But the reality for that woman is she couldn't come into normal society. She couldn't take part in normal life because she was considered unclean. And in fact, if she touched you in some way, if you'd physical contact with her in some way, that uncleanliness would have been considered transferred onto you. So this was a barrier for this woman, not just a physical ailment, but a social crippling as well for her. So for the 12 years that Jairus has been enjoying family life, this woman has been robbed of any sort of chance of a family, of communal life, of fellowship with other people. And then in the last 12 hours, Jairus's life is upturned. And his daughter, we're told, is dying. She had begun to die. So we in, in many ways here, we've got the tale of two daughters, don't we? We've Jairus, the loving father, about to see his, his little girl enter into the stage of life that at that time would have been considered the start of womanhood, the start of her own um, adult life and the chance of a family for her. And he stands looking at her on the cusp of this, and we have this other woman who looks back on that same period of time, robbed of that opportunity. Both Jairus and the woman were suffering, suffering terrible hardship, Hardship that comes as a reality of living in a broken world. Their lives had not followed the normal course of events. But that is the reality of living in a world that is broken, that is corrupted by sin, that suffering comes into our lives. And here's the common pattern that we see for both of these people in this passage. Here's, Here's the motif, if you like. The person is suffering terribly, they see Jesus as having the ability to relieve their suffering and they approach Jesus in faith. Jesus resolves their suffering, but this is the key bit, does it in such a way that grows and deepens their faith in Him. Jesus' ultimate aim in these interactions we're going to see is not just to fix that immediate problem that we've been thinking about, but to develop and to deepen the faith of those two people in Him. So I think what Luke's trying to say to us in this passage is that the Lord brings salvation to those suffering life's trials in order to deepen their faith in Him because we, we see that in how the Lord interacts with him. He, he brings the woman out in public, brings her out in front of everyone, and he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. And he makes Jairus wait, and we're going to think about that too. He doesn't go immediately to his house. He stalls. And then he tells Jairus in his despair, do not fear, only Believe. So we have to think about why Jesus wants to do that. Why is that his priority? Why does he not just want to fix the issue in front of him and, and move on? And then we have to think a little bit about how he achieves that. How does he actually grow Jairus' faith here? How does he grow and develop this woman's faith? And then think, does that have anything to speak into our lives today? We have to be a bit like a toddler when we come to Scripture. We have to ask, Why? Why? So, why is Jesus so insistent that through these interactions, these people develop their faith in him? Why is that his key priority, not just solving the immediate problem? Well, I suppose, firstly, it's because faith in him is going to see them not just through this issue, but through the next problem down the line. Sooner or later, Jairus is going to face some other difficulty. Perhaps his daughter will get sick again. Perhaps something else will happen in his life. Sooner or later, this lady is going to have an issue with communal life again somehow. Or her physical health will trouble her again somehow. And so by developing their faith in Jesus, it sees them not just through this, but it starts to build their confidence in Him so that they can face whatever is down the line. And so it is for you and me as well. The Lord often sees us through a problem, sees us through a difficult time, not just because he wants to get us through the problem at hand, but because he wants to help us when we face the next struggle down the line so that our faith in him has grown and developed. We're able to say, he will hold me fast. And that is true, but that can't be the whole answer. And perhaps you're sitting here this morning and you're already objecting to that in your head. Some of you perhaps are facing a problem maybe it's a grief and a bereavement, maybe it's some other issue, but you know that really that problem is not going to be resolved this side of death. Perhaps you know that your time on earth is coming to an end just in terms of your lifespan, and you know that, that this is the last struggle for you. And perhaps you're facing something this morning that is so difficult and so trying and so heartbreaking. That you cannot possibly conceive that there would be something worse on the other side of it. I imagine Jairus would have considered himself in that sort of a situation. So, for anyone in that situation, why is it that Jesus' overriding priority is still to deepen your faith in Him? Ultimately, we can only really answer that question when we understand the true course, the true trajectory of a human life, because we're conditioned through everything that we see that we're born and we live and we die. if you walk through a graveyard, you see a little date, a little hyphen, and another date. And in our minds, that little hyphen is our life. It starts and it ends. Perhaps you watch a a TV program or a long-running series on on Netflix or or on on the BBC, and and as the series go on, there's more and more and more plot threads start, more and more characters come, more and more problems begin. And that's fine, but when we're watching that, we all know in the back of our heads, sooner or later, someone's going to cancel this, Sooner or later, they're going to say, this is your last season, guys, and all those little plot threads have to be wrapped up satisfactorily by the last episode. That's how things should be. It all has to come to a nice, neat, satisfying conclusion. And that's our expectation for our lives as well, that by the time we're breathing our last on our deathbed, all the little plot threads of our life will be wrapped up neatly and satisfyingly in a bow but that is not how life works. And it is certainly not how life ends. God created us to be eternal beings. In fact, we are eternal beings. Us as people will continue far beyond our life on this earth. And we can see that even in this passage that we've read because both, did you notice both episodes in the center, Jesus says something ridiculous. Jesus says something preposterous, and everyone reacts to it. First of all, in the crowd's pressing around him, and he says, who touched me? What a ridiculous thing to ask. That's what Peter says. Lord, everyone's touching you. You're in the middle of a crowd. And when he's with this little girl, lying cold and dead in front of him, he says, don't worry, she's just sleeping. And the people laugh in reaction. They say, of course she's not sleeping, she's dead. But the Lord is alluding to the fact that there is more than what we can just see in front of us. There is a spiritual reality to life that goes beyond what we can just see. And so it is with our lives. Your life and my life will not end when our hearts stop beating. Our lives will continue beyond this world, infinitely beyond it. In fact, so much so that our time here is going to pale into comparison in the light of eternity. And so in the light of that, Jesus' priority is that He develops something within us that is for our ultimate good, that allows us to take it with us into eternity. In fact, allows us to thrive and enjoy eternal life. And that's why his priority is developing that for us, not just fixing what will in the grand scheme of things be a very transient and passing problem. Imagine if you were renovating your house and you peel the wallpaper off and you realize the plaster's crumbling. And this is how you know it's an illustration because you've asked me to help you plaster. And you say, can you give me a hand? So we go and we crack all the old plaster off the wall and it all comes off easily. But we discover when the plaster comes off the wall that actually there's a huge crack in the wall and a lot of the old bricks are just crumbling. And in fact, the whole gable wall, the whole end wall of your house is, is imperiled. It's gonna, someday it's just gonna go, it's just gonna collapse. Now, I could say, no problem, skim of plaster, That's what you asked me to do. But someday, whenever the house falls down, the first thought in your head will not be, Nicholas did a really great job plastering that wall. It would be much better for me to say, why don't we take this opportunity to do some remedial work here? Why don't we take this moment to build something that's going to last rather than just fixing what we thought was the immediate problem? And that is a very imperfect illustration of why the Lord is not happy just to bring salvation for the problem in front of him at that moment. He wants to grow and deepen the faith of the person as well because faith in him will draw us closer to him. And in drawing ourselves closer to him, as we get to know him more, our faith in him grows. And so we get into this virtuous spiral, if you like, Our faith in Him grows, and we know Him more, and so we trust Him more. And in that, the Lord is building something that will last far beyond the crumbling of this life and into eternity. He is working on a priority of building something in each of us that will last far beyond when this world comes crashing down. Until you fully grasp the the real trajectory of your life, you will never be satisfied with what Jesus has to offer you. We just want the new hip or the happy marriage. Too often we consciously or unconsciously accept the 81-year time limit. We want the immediate problem solved, but the Lord wants much more than that for us. So how does he do that? Let's look at these two people. How does he grow their faith? Well, first of all, with Jairus facing the sudden crisis, he's the first one on the scene. And, and Jairus couldn't have seemed more urgent, could he? couldn't have seemed more desperate. He falls on his knees. His daughter is right on the cusp of death. Had, she had begun to die. And I imagine most of us, certainly any of us who are parents, can put ourselves in his shoes to some degree. I remember sitting in the back seat of our car as my wife was driving down the west link towards the royal with my middle daughter beside me in the car seat, blue from head to toe. And the desperation in my heart in that moment, I would imagine the prayers to the Lord from my heart in that moment were very similar to what Jairus was saying right here. Lord, my daughter, Lord, my daughter, she is on the point of death. Please come. Come. Please come now. And yet the Lord delays. The Lord delays with this whole encounter with this woman. And then the messenger comes from the house with the worst possible news. Why is he still troubling him? Daughter's dead. And I would imagine that on any other day of his life, Jairus would have been absolutely delighted for that woman. What a wonderful thing. We can welcome her back into our life. She's been restored. She's been healed. He would have, I am sure, rejoiced with her that she had been healed of this issue of blood. But I am also sure that in that moment, as a father hearing that news, he thought, Lord, why was this woman's problem more important than my daughter's life? What sense was there in what you're doing? What sense was your, in, in, in you delaying? Why? Why did you wait? Why did you stay your hands? You just imagine if you were in the ambulance heading to hospital with a heart attack and they pulled over at the side of the road and said, we just need to help a guy with a sprained ankle here for a minute. Jairus sees it in exactly those terms, I am certain. Yes, this was terrible for this woman, Lord, but my daughter has died. Why did you delay? And some of you perhaps sit here this morning and ask that very same question of the Lord. What are you doing? What are you doing? What sort of timing are you operating on, Lord? Why have you not fixed this? Why have you not acted? Think about Jim Elliott and, and uh, all those years he and his fellow missionaries spent preparing. go out to reach that that untouched tribe, all of the effort and all of the time and all of the work and the hours that they put in, dedicating their lives right to that point, and at the moment of first contact, they're killed, butchered on, on a beach at the riverside. What was the Lord thinking? And yet in the years after that moment, those people that they were going to reach were reached, And the good news of Jesus Christ made its home in that people group and the church flourished. I am sure the disciples at different points, both with the Lord's life and after he had gone, thought, why are you not back yet, Lord? Why have you not come back? We need you now. We're being persecuted. Come back now. Of course, if the Lord had done that, you and I would not be sitting here rejoicing in our relationship with him. See, the Lord will do his work in his time, not ours, because ultimately his timeline is the best. And it's very hard for us because we don't see that. We often don't understand that. Scripture reminds us that your ways are not our ways, Lord. And yet the reality is that the Lord's timing is for our good, though it is often very hard for us to see that. So how do we let the Lord work when it seems like He is delaying? How do we let Him build our faith and our confidence in Him? Because that is something we need to do, not just when times are hard, But we need to remind ourselves that God is working for our good through all things when things are good, because that strengthens us whenever the hard times come. I think there's probably three things that we can do with each other to try and build that confidence. First thing is we can remember our own stories. Most of us probably have a time that we can look back on in our lives, large or small, and we can see that at that moment, our lives did not work out the way we wanted to. Maybe it was a job or a, or a move in some way, or maybe it was a relationship that we had a lot of hope on, and things just didn't come to fruition. But as time goes on, we can look back, and we can see how our lives have moved, and we can see that actually, that was the Lord's timing, That was the Lord's hand. And while it seemed like the exact wrong thing at the time, that was the Lord moving and guiding in our lives. And I would encourage you to reflect on those moments, to remember that that same guiding hand is working now as was working then, and allow it to deepen your faith. So remember our own stories when the Lord has acted for our good. And I think the second thing is we should be encouraged by each other's stories as well. Go home and tell your family how much the Lord has done for you, we're told in the Gospels. And I think we can still have a little bit of awkwardness, certainly, in this country talking about things like that. We feel it. It's a bit cringy. And yet the reality is we should be salting our conversations as believers with this sort of thing. Listen to what the Lord has done for me. Let me tell you about a time when the Lord did something in my life, and it seemed to make no sense, but I can see His hand in it. We should encourage each other with the confidence that God is working in our lives, and we should share our experiences of when that has happened. And finally, and I think most critically, actually, we need to be strengthened as well by the biblical stories when the Lord did this, because this is not the only time the Lord stalled This is not the only time the Lord waited, Ask Mary and Martha. But we need to be strengthened by the reality that though at that moment for those people it seemed to make no sense in the Lord's plan, it was for their ultimate good. So remember our own stories, be encouraged by each other's stories, and be strengthened most of all by the biblical stories. There may come a time for us when it seems that things are not working out as they should. Maybe a problem that won't go away, but just remember, as he has worked before in your life, as he has worked before in others' lives, and as we have seen him operating in scripture, he is working right now for your good, and allow him to deepen and develop your faith and confidence in him. So Jesus develops our faith by working on his timeline, not ours and builds our confidence in his goodness in doing it. Secondly, for those facing the long struggle like the woman, Jesus does it through a personal relationship with him. We thought about the the uncleanness, the ceremonial uncleanness for this woman, the fact that she couldn't touch anyone else or she would transmit that to them. So it looks pretty clear in his language that the crowd here is absolutely rammed together. They're absolutely packed together. Maybe you've, you've been in a moment like that, going into a sports event or trying to get into a shop for a sale, and, and you know what it's like. People are pressing on you on all sides. And quite simply, this woman should not have been in the middle of that because all around her she was bumping into people, and if they had realized who she was, if they had realized that she was there in the middle of them, they would have been outraged. And we can imagine that she probably planned to try and touch the hem of the Lord's garment and then just melt away, slip off to the edges of the crowd, and disappeared. But the Lord has other ideas. No sooner has she touched the hem of the garment than he says, who touched me? Who touched me? You can just imagine her heart skipping a beat in that moment, perhaps still kneeling down in the crowd trying to get a hold of his hem. And Peter recognizes the absurdity of that, but the Lord doesn't be deterred by Peter. The Lord asks this question to draw the woman out into the public gaze. Why does he do that? This is, this is the exact opposite of what she wants. We know that from the way she reacts. She comes with trembling. This is exactly what she did not want to happen. Now everyone is looking at her. And the Lord brings her before him and gently he asks her why she has done what she has done. And she gets her, he gets her to tell what has happened to her. So why does the Lord do that? Firstly, he's, in one sense, he's just simply completing the job, isn't he? He's completing the healing. Because not only has she been healed physically, but now she's being healed socially, in front of everyone. He's sort of vindicating that it's happened. She's not going to have to present herself a week later and say, that problem that I've had for 12 years, well, it's just gone away. The Lord has brought her in front of people and restored her, not just physically, but restored her socially. The new half-finished jobs with the Lord Jesus. But secondly, and critically for us here, I think, the Lord wanted to have a personal connection with her. He wasn't happy for just an impersonal exchange of power. The Lord wanted to look her in the eye and connect with her personally. George Lucas did a a great service to all of us many years ago by creating the world and universe of Star Wars. And in that world, if you watch it or know anything about it, the heroes and the villains draw their power from a, a sort of a cosmic life energy. And it's just simply called the force. And they can take that force and they can use it to strengthen them or to to lengthen their endurance or or to quicken their reflexes. And this impersonal force is just there for them to bend to their will and use for what they need, and then it's gone again. But that is definitively not Christianity. Jesus seeks a personal relationship with us. Jesus seeks for this lady to deepen her faith by connecting with her as an individual. Lots of people come to Christianity looking for a solution to a problem. Maybe it's an addiction of some sort. Maybe it's a a, a struggling marriage and they feel like they've tried everything else so we'll go along and we'll try church. And as it happens, in his grace, Jesus stands ready to help people like that and has helped thousands and thousands, if not millions of people who come to him for help. But he is not happy just to let it be a simple transaction of power. He wants to connect with that person personally. He wants a personal relationship. You know, I was trying to think what in today's world, what do people come to church, or come to religion for? And the reality is that probably people come to church looking for some sort of meaning. They're facing this emptiness of life, and so when there's births and there's deaths and there's marriages, they want to come to church, and they want there to be some sort of meaning, some sort of greater structure to life. And the reality is, actually, we want to touch the fringes of the garment, but we don't really want to have to interact with the person. And that is true for many outside the family of faith, but it is also true for many of us in the family of faith. We want the Lord Jesus to provide a solution for us to help us through the problem we're facing, and then perhaps to slip away in the crowd and not have to connect and interact with them as an individual. Jesus doesn't want to just help you with the problem in front of you. He wants to know you, and He wants you to know Him and through that relationship with him as we've thought our faith grows and so the question for each of us here is how did we interact with Jesus this week how did we interact with the lord this week did we talk to him did we let him speak to us did we involve him in the struggles of our life did we rejoice with them in the joys of our life? How did we interact with the Lord Jesus this week? Were we content just to come here this morning and touch the fringes of the garment? That is not what the Lord wants for us. The Psalms, I would encourage us, give us a great way to give voice to our feelings. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord, the psalmist says. The Psalms give us a language to express our feelings and connect with the Lord Jesus. Perhaps this week, reading a few Psalms as you go through your day-to-day life will help you to connect with the Lord as a person. That is what he wants. That is what he wants. He wants to deepen your faith in him. So as we close and conclude, how does the Lord actually bring salvation to suffering in this life? For some people, he brings it miraculously, just like he did here. Miraculously and outside of all other explanation, the Lord acts and things are healed, things are resolved. Something happens for which there is no natural explanation and God acts miraculously. Other times, perhaps, the Lord works more subtly, but the timing of things, the way that events unfold we can see that that is the Lord's hand helping us. And for some of us, His timing will not be in this life. He will fix all of our hardship. He will wipe away every tear. We're assured of that. But ultimately, that may not happen in our timing in this life. So let's remember as we face whether it be the prolonged struggle or the sudden crisis, that in that, the Lord doesn't just want to help you in that moment, but through that, He wants to deepen your faith in Him. His timing is not our timing, but it is for our good if you are facing a sudden crisis. As you face, perhaps, a prolonged struggle, remember that the Lord wants relationship with you in that reading and and listening to the words of an old song, Until Then, by the Blackwood Brothers. It's worth a listen. And the first verse is this. My heart can sing when I pause to remember. A heartache here is but a stepping stone along a trail that's winding always upwards. This troubled world is not my final home. Lord, we thank you for your compassion and love for all those that you encountered suffering the hardship of this fallen and broken world. And Lord, we thank you that, that your, your contentment was not just to fix the immediate problem and leave things be, but your desire was through that to build those people's faith in you and so build something in that character that will last and endure for all of eternity. Lord, each of us confesses when we're being honest that there are a great many things in our lives for which we cannot see any rhyme or reason. We struggle to work out why it has happened to us. We struggle with facing it, and so, Lord, we pray that as we do face those things, you would draw us closer to you. You would build our faith and our confidence in you and your goodness, that you would remind us that your timing is not our timing, but it is the right timing. You would remind us that you want more than just a quick fix for whatever faces us, but in fact, you want a relationship with each of us to draw us ever closer to you through whatever difficulties this broken world has put in front of us. And so we pray that you will strengthen each of us through whatever troubles we face, large and small, and draw us closer to you and closer to your likeness in your name.